Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 246, How to Write a Spy Novel, an interview with James R. Hannibal coming to you on Thursday, May 6, 2021. This is going to be so much fun for you. So James has been on before and he talked about writing military thrillers, spy novels, but we also talked a lot about having um, millennium characters in your books and how to write them well. And we touched on so many other areas that this time we we're like, let's talk about how to write a spy novel. So you are going to love this if this is at all in your interest base. Uh, also remember that if you are interested in learning more about how I can help you write and finish your book or self-publish your book, just reach out to me, kitty at kittybuholtz.com. I'm working on my website still. So eventually uh, you'll be able to find more information at rightnowworkshop.com. If this is say a month after this episode airs, hopefully all will be well. Remember you can find the show notes at podcast.rightnowworkshop.com dot com forward slash episodes and then figure out what episode it was that you wanted to know you know about um, links or to get somebody's name spelled right so that you can look them up and buy their books or follow them or whatever and uh, again this is episode 246 with james r hannibal Remember next week, uh, tune in again on Thursday because we will be talking to literary agent Cynthia Rookdy to find out whether or not you are ready for a literary agent. So that will also be a great interview. Whether you are self-published, traditionally published, hybrid published, or not yet published, she's got a lot of great information that'll help you make some decisions about uh, where you're taking your career this year. All right, so here we go. Let's talk about spies. Today's guest is James R. Hannibal. James is no stranger to secrets and adventure. This former stealth pilot from Houston, Texas has been locked up with surface to air missiles and chased down a winding German road by an armed terrorist. He is a three-time Silver Falchion Award winner for his children's mysteries, a Thriller Award finalist for his Nick Barron Covert Ops series, and a Carol Award winner and Sela Angel and Silver Falchion Award finalist for The Griffin Heist, the opener for the CIA series that now includes Chasing the White Lion. James is a rare multi-sense synesthete meaning all his senses intersect. He sees and feels sounds and smells and hears flashes of light. If he tells you the chocolate cake you offered smells blue and sticky, take it as a compliment. Welcome, James. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be with you today. Me too. You were on with us in November 2019, if people want to go back to it, because if they haven't heard it, I think they'll want to. Episode 165, we talked a little bit about writing thrillers and spy novels. We did. And it was really fun, but when I went back to listen so that I could um, make sure that I knew like, what should we talk about differently this time? I realized we talked about a lot of great writing tips, but not entirely only about writing thrillers and spy novels. We talked about that you worked with millennials and so how you would learn to write really good millennial characters. And um, we talked a little bit more about like the military thriller genre, um, which is slightly different from the spy thriller, yeah? 
Yep. And so um, after I read The Paris Betrayal, which I loved, everybody, <laughs> um, I, I am kind of a uh, James Bond and Jason Bourne uh, movie franchise nuts. So I will say that um, in my head, I was seeing a movie the whole time that I was reading. So that was really fun. <laughs> awesome. We hope a lot of producers are watching this. Yes. This. Yes. Have your readers do a, a reading. Um, forget what it's called. I used to do it. But anyway, yeah. Have one of your readers read The Paris Betrayal and then tell you you should make a movie. <laughs> Okay, so I'm super excited because today we're actually going to do kind of a how-to, right? A spy thriller. Absolutely, yes. I'm very excited about it because the Paris Betrayal is a how-to-be-a-spy book. Um, I enjoyed uh, including a lot of the background thoughts and training that Ben Calix is pulling on when he's cut off because this is a spy left out in the cold story. And so Ben has to rely on his wits, his training. He has to recall um, things that he learned in order to survive without a team and without resources. And so we see a lot of that. Uh, Ravel worked with me in a great way to bring out these sections where it's almost like how to be a spy. And so I figured this morning we should do uh, how to be a spy thriller writer. <laughs> yes, perfect. I love it. And uh, there are so many bits in the in the book that did make me think like, oh, I... I, like in when I watch a movie, I see things happening, but when I read it, it's just different. You know, it's a different medium. And I'm like, oh, how interesting that he's got to figure this out first. Like in, on the screen, you just see him thinking and then doing, but in the book, you can see him thinking and trying to decide, you know, what's the next step or so. Yay. Okay. So we'll talk about it also in terms of the Paris betrayal, since the book is such a great example. <laughs> so um, let's just talk real briefly about um, like the Paris betrayal story. So this is, I'm not sure if it's a series, but it's, it's at least a standalone book. Yes, it's a standalone. I'm, I fell in love with the characters when I was writing it. So um, I hope that there's a big enough readership that we can bring them back and maybe turn it into a series. But uh, yes, originally written as a standalone for a spy left out in the cold story, inspired by the biblical book of Job. So I was, I'm sitting there in Sunday school and I'm listening to Job and, and you're talking about the enemy and God talking about, you know, God's uh, top guy, uh, Job, and this challenge of his loyalty. And uh, to me, as I'm listening to this, this is, this is two spy masters talking about one of them's top spy and testing his loyalty. And so I just thought, oh, let's take that and let's turn it into a, a spy story. And uh, Dr. Gary Huckabee, who was uh, an adjunct professor at Denver Seminary at the time, uh, and pastor uh, did a um, an exegesis and a deep dive into the book of Job. So we're talking like, like you know, seminary theological level uh, explanation of the book of Job. And that document that he created for me then became my character document um, as I built the characters like Colonel Hale and Sensen the Sniper and all these things because Job goes out seeking his, when he's sort of cut off from his agency, which is God, he goes out seeking answers from his friends and so in the same way, Ben has to go seek answers and find out why he suffered this severance, this removal from his agency. And uh, so he's got to go find the sniper who tried to kill him, the uh, man who he thinks killed the woman he loved, the doctor who saved his life, and the spy master who trained him. And so while he's doing all that, he's also got to stop a massive attack. Uh, and so anyway, that's, that's where that all came from. And so if you, if there, you, we never mentioned the book of Job in the story. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's very loose allegory. 
but it is fun to go back and look at um, which of these friends are which which of which of Ben's contacts are match up to which of Job's friends and the arguments they make and how they marry up. Okay, so this might be the first time that I go back and reread a book I just finished because I did not see the Job allegory, which in my mind means that you did it perfectly. Um, but also, like as soon as you said it, I'm like, oh my gosh, and I'm thinking of different characters and different things happening. I'm like, this is so cool. And also, I'm glad I'm not the only weird writer person who can be sitting in church going, oh, that's a great idea for a book. <laughs> Constantly elbowing my wife in church like, I have another book idea. She's like, no, you don't. You have too many. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. So this is really fun. So tell us where should we, uh, what are some of the things that we should be thinking about when we're trying to develop our spy thriller? Okay. So, you know, writing spy thrillers uh, in, in this regard, they're very similar to military techno thrillers in that there is a language of the story. So when you're introducing a, a, a genre, I mean, if I was going to write a book about a plumber, I still have to write, I have to write within that language. You know, I'm actually working on a, on a mystery that involves a doctor right now. And I've had to learn a lot of the medical language. And then you have to introduce that to the reader in stages. So when we teach language to kids or even math, um, one of the best ways that we do that is we introduce a concept at a, at a, at a shallow level. And then we cycle back around to it and go a little deeper. And then we cycle back around to it and we go a little deeper. And so when you're doing the same for your readers in a spy thriller where you're introducing specific technology, where you're introducing spy techniques and, and lingo like an SDR surveillance detection route, we see that a couple of times, for instance, in the Paris betrayal. So, well, I need to bring that lingo in early with my readers and then cover it again at a deeper level later. And then if, if whatever you're terminology that you're using is going to be a big part of the big end of the book. Uh, you really want to cover all those early, really get your reader fluent in those lang in that language so that you don't have to take time and stop and explain in the fast paced final action. Right. Okay. And once again, I'm thinking about your story and how I, like, I can remember parts where like first you kind of explained it and then somebody had to do it and explained it a little bit more. I'm like, okay, this is brilliant. I'm so excited. Now I'm like, I don't, cause I think, oh yeah, of course James can write a spy thriller. Cause James like, you know, used to be uh, locked up with surface to air missiles. I'm looking at your bio, you know, and chased by an armed terrorist. But now I'm thinking, okay, there, there are tips that I can be thinking about. And this is probably actually, sorry, I'm so excited because I just think this is such a great topic. Uh, and I love how to, um, but somebody could also be listening who isn't going to be necessarily writing spy thrillers, but is writing something outside of maybe what the reader knows and still taking some of these tips and, and being able to apply it to other genres as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the, the language um, concept of, of teaching your reader the language of the story applies to a lot of genres. Yeah. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I'm just thinking about like even romance novels that I've read. As soon as you said that you were, um, um, researching uh, things that a doctor would need to know and be able to say and stuff. I was like, oh yeah, one of my friends has like 15 books in a medical uh, romance series. Um, but she introduced the different words that I didn't know and things that I didn't know about in a way that made it not seem like I was in medical school for five minutes. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Okay. So what else should we know? Well, you know, story inspiration is important. 
And I, it's great to have an idea and go, okay, I'm going to write this one. Like, you know, having an idea about uh, a couple of uh, a spy in church or, you know, a couple of warring spy masters. But that inspiration then needs a lot of uh, fleshing out, right? And to do that, you, if you want to write spy thrillers that are going to have credibility, that are going to be read and go, oh, yeah, I see that then you need to have some understanding of the reality of the world. And so you want to prepare for that inspiration. You don't want to wait until inspiration comes and then research it, at least in my opinion. And so what I do is I stay, as I keep current, um, I follow newsletters, I follow social media pages, feeds, and uh, so on and so forth for, uh, I would say, either in or spy adjacent businesses. <laughs> uh, so there are some DOD defense contractors and this works as well for military thrillers, but uh, DARPA. DARPA always has some really great technology going on. They're always on the cutting edge. They're always pushing the boundaries. The, um, uh, the CIA has a newsletter. They have a-, a What? A, a, yeah, they have, they have feeds. So you can get on there. The, the, one of the ones that is really interesting is the defense contractor news. So you can get weekly emails that tell you where the money's going and what the new defense contracts are. And these can be funny as well as you know, informative. <laughs> You're like, really? Those we're spending money on upgrading the toilets in the FEMA uh, you know, emergency van. Okay, but yeah. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So that actually um, reminds me of a question that I had um, and without giving anything away in the story, this is just kind of general, but um, because everything I know about this world comes from a movie, pretty much 97% at least, uh, I thought, we have the FBI, which is in country, and the CIA, which is out of the country. And that's it, because those are the only two organizations I've heard of. But when I was reading your book, there was just things that you said in a way that made me think, is this maybe another organization? I didn't know if there were like different organizations that you might be, and I don't know if you call yourself a spy when you're a spy, but, but the, um, that have people out there in the world doing this kind of work. Uh, yes. Yeah, so now we're getting to a delicate subject matter. Uh, so we don't have to go where you're not allowed to go, I, I but to work in fiction. Um, so I can tell you without a doubt that, uh, the company in the Paris Patrol is a completely fictional agency. Um, but yes, there are a lot more agencies out there and not necessarily agencies, but perhaps units and organizations oh. where, uh, people are working in intelligence in specifically in human type situations, in which case, uh, when I say human, uh, back to the language of the yeah. world, we're talking about human intelligence, face-to-face -face interactions, things like that. Oh, okay. So, um, so when you're getting on these lists, so, so for one thing, I'm thinking that maybe me just writing one one-off spy thriller would be an awful lot of work for one book versus like, this is kind of your wheelhouse. And so staying up to date with everything actually is going to help you with probably all of your books. It More is. And it's not just it's not just going to um, help you with your research, but also when you fill your brain, if you're going to say, OK, I'm going to write spy thrillers and you fill your mind with that, you go follow the DARPA feed and DARPA is fantastic with like I think I've already covered that. But the, the, the technology stuff that they throw out there, it's just the G whiz 
look at that. You know, what are they working on now? Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> that, guy's, that guy's got a prosthetic with a mind of its own, you know. Um, so <laughs> wow, that's cool. they, they actually are working on some really cool prosthetic stuff. But uh, so when you follow these things and all of these uh, newsletters, uh, Facebook feeds, my Facebook feed, I, I apologies to my friends. Um, but I don't actually have any of my friends except for a very immediate family and my best friend are on my Facebook feed. And so I don't ever see everybody's news because what I fill my feed up with is with these pages um, and these groups so that what I'm seeing when I turn on social media is this information. And the reason that I do that is for inspiration. So when you fill your brain with these things, one, you're prepared for when inspiration comes and two, the inspiration, yeah, you can find inspiration from them. So when, when it's almost like cross-referencing, the human brain is a fantastic computer. So you're filling it with this information. You see something come across your Facebook feed and you immediately cross-reference with something you pulled from a newsletter three weeks back. And then your brain goes, ooh, great book idea. And so there you go. Right. Okay. Wow. This is so interesting. I'm, um, my brain is is actually filled with with all of the things that you're saying because I'm imagining all the places you would get information. So, just in general, like you know where to find information, and you're already part of things. But what are sort of um, some Google terms or Facebook search terms that people are going to want to use in order to find um, the types of newsletters that they think might be most appropriate to the type of, you know, spy thriller or military thriller or whatever that they're writing. Yes, I would put in, um, oh, there's a couple of really great ones, but um, so DARPA, obviously, D-A-R-P-A, Google them, make sure that you get the actual DARPA and not all the conspiracy theory um, websites that think DARPA is evil and, and that Darth Vader runs it. Uh, and, <laughs> And then you can go to the CIA website and peruse there. You can peruse their archives and look, look for um, information from them. You can go to Twitter and just follow the CIA. You oh, can wow. go to, uh, you can type in Department of Defense newsletters and see what pops up. Um, right. You can type in Department of Defense contractor uh, announcements and see what pops up. So all of those would be great. Also, you can go to Lockheed, you can go to Boeing. Um, you can go to Raytheon, you can go to these contractors that are creating things, go to go to Glock and see if you can find their military um, and government contract page and see what the uh, spies and soldiers are carrying. And, you know, so right. you know, go to all the, you know, the, 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 there's really the sky's the limit on, on what you can Google. Right. On Jane's defense as well. Jane's defense is a good one. Of course, the subscription Jane, like, like, uh, like Jane, the word Jane Doe, okay. Jane, uh, apostrophe S, Jane's defense, go to them, uh, Jane's intelligence and see what, see what they'll give you for free. They, uh, they charge an arm and a leg for their, uh, actual publications. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Now I'm thinking that between all of that, you could find a gazillion ideas. That's probably how it's been working for you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. And, and was the Griffin heist, so I'll let you just give the, the one sentence overview of the Griffin heist. Um, and then did you like pick up some of those ideas from just reading, reading newsletters? Yes, absolutely. And the Griffin heist is a rookie CIA um, officer has to essentially find the person, uh, find out who killed her father um, and is uh, also thrown in the mix with a group of elite thieves in order to stop an actual heist. And so they go, they end up with this high, high altitude data vault up in the mesosphere. And again, that idea, a lot of that inspiration came from, I believe it was, oh, I don't want to misspeak, but I, I believe it was Boeing 
um, it was either Boeing or Lockheed that was working on exactly that technology. And uh, so I saw that. And of course, there's, there's our lower. And so when you're writing these things, you want to push the boundaries, you want to push the edge, because it's, especially with the way the book timelines go, you <laughs> in my case, I write a book too. I start writing a book two years before it reaches the shelves. And so, you know, I, I don't want to be, it's not like Apple. I want to be outdated, you know, for whatever right. I buy with phone that I buy when I'm writing the book is, is three series back, you know, by the time it, it's, it hits publication. So I really try to push the edge. So I took what that defense contractor had created as um, a multi-use system. It can be surveillance. It could be an information node, a low altitude sat satellite, that kind of thing. And I pushed it up into the mesosphere, which is one of the worst uh, locations on Earth, the most hostile environments on, on, on or slightly near the planet. Um, and so that's what you want to do with these thrillers is, is you want to take that and push, push the edge. Right. Okay. So listening to all of these ideas that you had about different places where you can find ideas while you were talking. And I was also thinking about the Griffin heist. I was like, oh, you could get on the, all of the, um, uh, email lists for like uh, Jeff Bezos's, um, space thing and Elon Musk's space thing. Like they're going to start doing. Those, yes. So I was just thinking, can you imagine like you're on the, the tourist version of the spaceship, but then you've got to do this other thing, but like you're in an enclosed, I'm just like, there you oh. go. No, that's absolutely in my, in my brain. I, I sent a note to Elon Musk volunteering to be one of the first people to fly his, you know, he, he took that idea of his, his um, big vehicle that's going to go to uh, Mars. And he actually sort of engineered it so that it could do coast to coast so you like LA to New York in 30 minutes. And you know, my other job is airline pilot. So I'm like, I'll do that one. I'll fly that. Thanks. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. It takes so a lot less choose. coffee. Right. <laughs> Don't even need a bathroom break. <laughs> oh, okay. This is so cool. Well, let's um, move on to, let's see, what else do we have here? Um, so just to help people to keep in mind ideas that we've talked about. Definitely you want to be reading um, the kinds of books that you're interested in writing. And I'm not sure, do you think that in, in this genre, does it matter if you're reading older books, you know, 20 year old spy thriller novels? I don't think so. I think uh, you get a lot of great information for, and don't just read 20 year old spy novels, read uh, 40 year old uh, unclassified or declassified documents. So go to the CIA archive and read the late, so a lot of it's really boring, but uh, you know, the techniques and sort of the atmosphere, the feel hasn't changed a lot in that regard. So you can go and look way back and yeah, the technology's changed and the organization has changed a lot, but uh, a lot of what you'll see can inspire what you can write today. And so for the same, you can read read the classics in, in, in spy thrillers. Yeah, okay, great. So we're gonna, we're gonna read. While we're writing, we're going to help the reader to understand the language of the world that we're talking about. And you had a great example as to starting at more of a surface level and then going down a layer and then down a layer. I love that. That was great. And then um, staying current on your topics. And you just gave us a ton of stuff that we can find for free to read, um, which sounds like, and, and we'll get to, uh, you have some more uh, tips on research and how to not get lost into that later. So we'll come back to that. Um, so let's talk about Google Earth and what you're using it for and exactly how much detail you feel works best in a spy novel. Reality is very important to me and that, that credible feel. And 
when we're in our brains, you know, we can, we can skip things. We can uh, think we were going left and we were going right a little bit, you know, before um, we can do things that are physically impossible. It's like the brain is the matrix. You can, you know, <laughs> we have full control in there. And so when you are researching a location and you're trying to move your hero or any of your characters around a specific location, it's best to, if well, the number one best thing is to go walk it, to go actually be there and walk it. And I, I have that unique opportunity as a airline pilot where I can do that a lot with my locations. All right. But with Google Earth, you can kind of do the same thing. And so uh, go to your go to your location, walk the streets. And even even when I even if I've been to a place, I come back and I turn on Google Earth and I go to the same streets that I just walked while I'm writing the scene. And so I, you know, your left's your left and your right's your right. So now don't become a slave to that. Um, you know, if, if it's going to ruin your story because he has to go left here instead of right. Um, and it's not some, you know, it's not Times Square where everybody knows what it looks like, then that's fine. But uh, do your best to stay within the, the sort of the, this is, a, this is real world fiction. So we're not writing fantasy. Um, there is that version of spy novels where it's, it's more that, that fantasy level. But what we're talking about in a spy thriller is usually a more grounded, reality-based, more gritty. And to help you do that, get into Google Earth and, and, and stay grounded in those streets that your uh, spy is following. Right. That makes sense. I don't think it ever would have occurred to me ever um, that I should look to see um, what I actually experienced during the week that we were in Paris. We went to the Louvre like on the second day or something. It was my birthday. Um, and uh, and I was like, you know, it's it's a famous museum and we should do it just so that we can say we did it. And then we fell in love and so every single time we were walking somewhere if there was a reason why we walked past the Louvre again even though you know there isn't much to see outside but still like it's actually an old castle grounds and I all these things that I didn't know and I wouldn't have known if we hadn't been doing that that you can walk through the center there's a road that goes through the center it's like to one side of well actually it's right where um, all the outside shots are um, that you see in movies um, and, and I don't think that it would have ever occurred to me to even look to see, you know, where can my characters run? Otherwise they'd be running down a brick wall for like six blocks before there's any place to go. And I think in one of the cities that your character Ben was in, he actually said something about either he knew it or he had looked on the map. I'm not sure that he knew he couldn't go this way because he couldn't get through. He couldn't get all the way through. I don't yes, know. Yeah. Because I, I I can't remember which one it was. Probably Paris, which is where he lives, you know. And so he knows he knows the city very well, um, but also Rome. He has spent a lot of time in Rome, and so and we we have foot chases in both of those. And yeah, exactly. You, you know, he, he, the spy. You want your spy to have that knowledge, and so then you have to acquire that knowledge yourself. Yeah. Okay. So then another way of looking at it is um, there are going to be some cities and maybe other areas that aren't cities, but there are going to be places that, that your spy knows either because he's lived there or done certain jobs in certain areas, maybe of a city and other cities that he's maybe been to once or has never been to. So do you think about some of the uh, plot problems that you would like to put in the book and you just have to choose whether or not you need to move him over here because he would know where blah 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 is in Paris therefore he needs to have to have a reason to go to some other city where he doesn't know in, in order to use this plot problem of 
being totally lost and alone or something. Right. Yes. Yeah. So if you, if you want your, it just all depends on what you want for your character um, and to, to throw them in a situation. You also have to remove resources from your character, which is often a really tough time to do or a tough thing to do because, you know, Ben is an experienced spy. So whatever city he's going to go to, he's going to study. He's going to, he's going to study uh, at least a little bit of the language. He's going to study the streets, at least on um, a map and actually would do it on a Google earth or a Google earth like software um, before arrival so that he's prepared and his team is prepared when he gets there. So uh, one of the things that made things easier, I guess, in a way is, is separating Ben. that severance that cuts him off from all his resources. He can't use his phone because it's being tracked. He can't uh, call in a team when he needs to get into uh, the, the shipping docks and, and things like that. Then that uh, allows me to, to, to increase his discomfort. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I take away the things that Ben would do as an uh, operative so that uh, we can increase his the, the tension for him and for the reader. Right. So it could be um, it could be something big or something small. Like uh, as we have increased the amount of technology that we have in our lives, uh, partially because the price of it comes down, there are other older types of technology that have gone away. So not that many people own an answering machine anymore. Um, and also, there's a lot fewer, at least in the U.S. Now I'm sitting here going, have I ever seen a payphone in Malma that I have walked all over Malma th for three years? And I'm trying to think if I've ever seen a payphone. Pay but that can be a big problem if you don't, like your phone is broken or lost or uncharged or um, like I used to live out in the country and there was, we didn't have a phone. And so we'd have to walk a half a mile to a payphone. That payphone is no longer there anymore, even though it's, you know, 40 years later. So there's also little things that you can look to see what's no longer available to them as a tool, maybe. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, this is that sort of life hack uh, side of the story. You do want to study where you're going because you don't know what's going to happen. So uh, for instance, um, I got off the plane in Oslo um, and uh, wandered away that, you know, of course I was flying a, a flight for the airline. And so they, they bus us to the hotel. And then I went out for a walk. And I mean, basically this is something I usually like to do is just lose myself in a city. But then it was getting dark. It was starting to rain a cold drizzle and I needed to get back to the hotel and I pull out my phone for the first time since I got off the airplane and it's dead. And this is my map. Right. So now I don't have a map to get back to the, to find you. Know, so, so there's like another two hours where I'm wandering around. You can get lost in Oslo. I, well, at least I can. <laughs> um, and I'm pretty good at that sort of thing. Uh, so anyway, so th this is something, this is one of those life hacks. If you know where you're going, make sure your technology is charged, all those things. But if you, if you have, if you're taking your family on vacation into an unknown city, make sure you sit down with them. And this, I, you know, my poor kids, they, they, they live with a survival instructor and other things that I've done in the past. And so we are going on vacation and we have to sit down in front of the computer and walk the streets on Google maps. And they're like, why are we doing this? We're just going to the beach. Um, but, you know. <laughs> well, um, you know, maybe my problem is slightly more fun, though, after the 15th time, there's a lot of eye rolling where my husband is driving me to a conference hotel and he's like, OK, remember, in case of zombie attack, we meet where? 
in case of EMP, we meet where? I'm like, is the zombie attack where we meet back where we started in the EMP? Is I stay and come and get you? And he's like, no, you never stay and think I'm going to come and get you. You have to get to a safe place. I'm like, oh, gosh, I can't remember all these things from my Romance Writers of America conference. (laughs) That makes me feel better because I know I know I'm not the only one who does that. Awesome. (laughs) Well, if you ever fly into Copenhagen, we'll come over and have lunch with you and you and John can like go over your, you know, attack plans. Evacuation plans. plans. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) In fact, I'll even have one prepared for you in Copenhagen in case one of those things happens. Thank you. Yeah, I'd like that laid out in a briefing and and on a whiteboard with at least five colors. That's a military thing. Sorry. I love it. Okay, well, let's talk about some of these other things. Um, you were actually talking about that um, spies, uh, we, we always think of uh, fictional spies, you know, they survive on their wits, but there's a lot of other things that are going on, um, things that they've learned over time that they are now um, kind of just taking from this vast array of knowledge, wisdom, and experience. So what's what sorts of other things would be like a life hack or a survival trick that you might be thinking about, oh, um, how can I use this in my book or what other things could I learn about? You know, if, you, if you're not thinking about zombie survival guides and <laughs> um, what are other sorts of ways that we can come up with ideas when we've never come up with ideas like this before? We'll definitely get um, a life hacks calendar, like the date, you know, you got the little flip calendar uh, yeah. page by page and what's the life hack of the day. Oh. Okay. So build your, build your little personal survival skills there and you'll find things in there. I'm sure that your spy can use, um, right. you know, spies like spies, like home life hacks as well. You know um, you know, when, you know, using the, using the lotion to get a ring off a finger ha- might have some other application in, in removing a piece of technology or something like right. that, but, uh, little things like that. And, and for me, obviously I draw back on uh, time as a survival instructor and others to, to go those sort of big survival life hacks, uh, go far, fast, go farther, faster. We touched that a lot in the Paris betrayal. And that's what part of that language too, is we, we bring it back around. Uh, to explain the concept, but basically anybody can use that concept when things are going bad in an area, whether somebody is, uh, you know, we were pursued, my wife and I were pursued by a terrorist in, in Germany. You don't expect that to happen. And it wasn't, we weren't doing anything operational. We were just driving between a couple of bases and this lone wolf terrorist decided he was going to kill a couple of Americans. Um, so when, when things go wrong and, or, you know, say you're walking home, you're, you're a college student, and the campus lights are out. Like I bring this up because this happened to my niece, uh, as far as just the, 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 the lights failed in the parking lot. And so the late classes, you're walking through that dark parking lot and you sense that, you know, maybe somebody's watching you remove yourself from the situation. So go far fast, get out of there. Don't stick around. And the longer that you stick around a bad situation, the worse things could be, the higher the chances of disaster. So remove yourself. And once you've immediately removed yourself from the area, as far as uh, on, on foot, getting to a lighted area, something like that, then it's the go farther, faster. Now remove yourself from the zone. I mean, don't just get out of the immediate area. Now find a cab, you know, make a plan and get farther, farther away. Right. Wow. Okay. That's, that's so interesting. Again, my brain is sort of exploding with all sorts of ideas. I'm trying to like listen to you and sort of capture these ideas while, while we're going. Cause I'm thinking um, uh, the kind of personality 
that you're going to have for each of your characters. Like if you need a character who, you know, sorry, but you're going to die. You don't want them to be, you know, two-dimensional stupid, but they might be the kind of person who's like, okay, I refuse to give in to um, a fear of nothing, you know, fear of the dark. There's no reason to be afraid of the dark, but maybe that is what's going to get them killed. It's just being the bravado but make it part of the personality, in which case it doesn't have to be, you know, like the Scream movies where, well, she ran upstairs instead of out the front door. So of course we all know she's gonna die, but that's because she's stupid. But this would be more something where um, if you knew, you know, you might be thinking, well, that could, that's because it is stupid, but um, but somebody who's, whose character is, um, you know, being strong, not not being willing to be scared by other people and stuff in a situation that could be Absolutely. the thing and the young the young character especially and that's not um unrealistic at all working in these types of operations working with young military and others uh you they often have that um you know the younger airmen uh in the air force for instance have that i can't be killed they have that immortal um illusion and so you're constantly, no, you can't do that. I don't want you to go. I won't, I don't want you to take that risk. Okay. Here's a better way because uh, they do have that sort of invincible feeling. And so they're more likely to take those kinds of risks. And so if you want to kill one off, go ahead. Yeah. Teach the others a lesson. That's right. <laughs> and then uh, like at some point I need to put somebody in one of my books who um, finds out later that they got away from a bad situation through intuition that they were afraid that they were just being silly. I was running in Central Park because I was at a conference and I was like, I'm in New York. I want to run in some Central Park. And I was getting ready for a half marathon. So I had all these great excuses. And um, and I love the woods because I grew up in the woods and I was running down this path and, and there was like a big copse of trees. I'm like, oh, this is going to be beautiful and it's hot, so it'll be cool. And I got probably 20 yards in and all of my senses were just like, all I could think of was every terrible CSI New York episode that I saw <laughs> and how it says, you know, based on a true story. And I'm thinking, I don't know why all of my senses are on alert, but I turned around and ran the other way a little faster than the uh, speed that I ran into the woods. And then I just stayed on the, the plain open trails where there was, you, where there was no hiding places. <laughs> I, I actually have a similar, similar experience in Hyde Park in London. I oh wow! Got, got locked into a park. That was that was uh, uh, weird uh, because I, you know, I and that was again that sort of stupid invincible thing where you're walking around like nobody's going to bother me. I'm a relatively big guy, uh, so I'm walking around at, at almost midnight. Uh, you know, I, I entered the park. Hyde Park is huge. I entered the park um, before closing and wandered around there, working on a book, working on thinking. That's how I write, and uh, wound up there after well after dark in uh, pu pushing midnight. There's some creepy folks that gather in that park after midnight, not up to uh, up, up to no good. And uh, like again, it was that sense of okay, I, and I need to remove myself. And then I, I, one of the groups saw me. Um, walking and approaching and apparently I was infringing upon their uh, whatever they were doing and so they started to to push towards me and so that was one of those okay remove yourself from the situation quickly yeah I'm a big guy I have a lot of training um, but I really don't need to be fighting eight 
guys in the dark right now. Uh, And when I got to the gate, you know, there's a policeman on the other side of it. He was like, why are you in there? (laughs) Because it was locked. I had to extricate myself. Some of them you can go, some of them are the turnstiles where you can always get out, but the one I got to was not. And so like, ah, would you mind? Yeah, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Tourists, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Americans. (laughs) Oh, that's another thing. So you could Google like um, all sorts of news stories, you know, uh, what's the, um, what's the, you know, stupid people who die, uh, all the stories, it's right on the tip of my tongue. Like my husband and I sadly joke about it all the time because they're true stories. Um, uh, the too, too stupid to live kinds of stories, you know, where somebody's like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to use this Batman cape and reinforce like the, it with steel and then jump. And then, oh my gosh, I like died. Like the Darwin Awards stuff. Darwin Awards. Yes. That, you could probably find ideas for, sorry, my brain is just on overdrive Or a right lot now. of high hilarity either way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Spend a day laughing. It's, okay. you know, yeah, more inspiration than cat videos, but. Yeah. <laughs> so um, is there such a thing as spy thrillers that are set in a realistic universe that have kind of the Marvel Cinematic Universe approach to humor? Like this is all serious and people are dying and there's aliens, but like there's all these little pockets of humor throughout the movies. Like, are there any spy thrillers like that? I would say there are mine, but. Uh... <laughs> I, yeah, I, that's the, one of the big comments that I get actually on my stories is, wow, there was a lot. I didn't expect a lot of, this is a serious topic. I didn't expect all this humor. I think there's less in Ben's book because in Ben, in the Ben Kalick story, because of uh, the situation where he's severed and he's, um, uh, he, he's on his own. And so there's less team interaction, but in the Talia Inger stories where it's this group of thieves and they might kill her at any time. Um, so there's that heaviness. Uh, we have to stop a, a massive uh, attack with hypersonic weapons. Um, but at the same time, I try to throw in humor um, and, and keep things lighthearted. I like to make my readers laugh. And, and so I hope that there, I don't know that there is, are other genres that do that uh outside of like you said the marvel um uh, universe but uh, i hope that there are i I like i think it's important for us to laugh in the midst of all that tension yeah it kind of i mean not only does it relieve it and give you kind of more room to to accept more tension but um but there's just something about it that i like that better than i tried writing or reading um hunt for red october after i saw the movie and um and I was like, this book is not for me. <laughs> I was so bored. There was just so much description of things that I didn't care about. I'm like, okay, it's a big tube of metal that has all sorts of cool parts, but where's the rest of the part where the action was in the movie? <laughs> so I guess everybody has their different um, different places where you're like, this is where I'm happy to write. And I think that um, really there's no reason why whoever you are listening, that there is no reason why you can't find a story that works well and find some readers who also like to read the sort of thing that you like to write. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you know, there are, there are shows, I'm not sure about books, but there are definitely shows that have that, that humor level. Um, After I did Griffin Heist, people who read it were like, oh, this is like leverage. And I'm like, what's leverage? So I had to go yeah. and watch. Uh, and actually I made some changes uh, to the story before we went and went to the publisher. Cause I'm like, wow, 
there are some similarities here, but we binge watched, we love Leverage. We binge watched the whole series and that has that same humor uh, inside it. Yeah. Um, and then Burn Notices too is another great one that has the kind of humor. That's obviously a little bit more fantasy level and unrealistic, but it, it does have that, that humor in it. Yeah, Burn Notice is one of our favorite, favorite shows. <laughs> okay, so let's um, move on. Oh, except for I did want to just say, so you you put um, kind of some end notes. I can't remember exactly how it was probably like author's note at the end of the Paris betrayal. And you actually talk about some of the, the life hacks that your character you know, had to know about in order to survive something, but that's a, a real thing, like falling through the ice on a lake. Yes. Yeah. And so again, I, I did some special ops training. I got uh, some, I worked as a survival instructor. And so I like to pass these things on. And so I hope what readers get through that scene with Ben, one is a really dramatic scene and feel his tension and, and working in almost a, um, uh, what do you call it when you're Oh my God. Hallucination. Hyper Sorry. Oh, I'm right. thinking hypothermia, but it's and, yeah. and hallucination Two two similar words there. Anyway, both are happening. And, uh, and so he's working through his own demons uh, in that way. But uh, I hope that readers also get some tips from that. For instance, when you fall through the ice, like Ben does, um, if, if you go waist deep, you know, and you're still able to grab onto the ice, hang on and, and you kind of do the seal flop to get out, use your whole body, get out of the, get out of the hole. If you fall and you're completely submerged, you know, and you go a foot below the ice, don't immediately try to come back and grab the ice because the way that our bodies fall through water, you're going to cut in a different angle. You're going to move. And so when you feel for that, you've got your eyes closed because it's freezing cold and it hurts to open them. And you feel for that ice and feel for that hole. There's a really good chance you're not going to find it. So don't waste the time. Every, every second counts. Let yourself go deeper. Um, actually the water, if you go significantly deeper, the water will actually warm up a few degrees. Um, but the more important thing is let yourself go deeper and look up, open your eyes, suck up, suck it up, you know, be, uh, fight through the pain and look for that surface, look for that hole so that you know where to go for it, then lock it on like a missile and shoot towards it and then come out of the water that way. But if you, if you fall through and you immediately start feeling for the hole, with your eyes closed, there's a good chance you're never going to find it. And that's where you're going to die. So yeah. <laughs> take them, take the extra second uh, and go deeper, get a big picture and then go, go for the hole and get out. That was so interesting reading that in, in the author notes, but it also reminded me of all the things that you had put in the book, things that Ben had done or one of the other characters had done that I was thinking, uh, all, oh, how do we say this? You know, like when you're really involved in a book, you aren't really thinking, but you do have <clears throat> thoughts. <laughs> so um, probably by maybe halfway through, I don't know, like I said, I wasn't thinking about it. By halfway through, I was thinking to myself in a way, um, I think these things that I'm reading uh, are a lot of them are like real things because they just made it seem so real. And then to get to the end where you have the author note and you're mentioning, you know, one of these real things, I'm like, it really was all like real stuff that he used. It just made it seem more um, like I was even more involved in the story somehow. Yeah, the the it was fun to write that note. It was fun to go back and and kind of rehash and look at who and and what influenced the story and so you know for instance hale uh who is the spy master the spy trainer uh, the schoolmaster in the story 
that Ben has to seek out, this mentor figure is based on some real people. And so I see those people when, when Ben is talking to Hale. To me, you know, I, I see their faces, I hear their voices, and the things that they tell him are things that, that, the things that, that Hale tells Ben or that Ben recalls Hale telling him when he recalls his training are things that were spoken to me. And so I, can, I, I hope that, that the readers get the sense of that, that reality of, of things that uh, um, the real voices from, from real operators in the past. Yeah. Absolutely. And also, it just um, reminds me as a writer researching something that I don't know anything about, regardless of what my genre is going to be, like when I can learn some of the realistic things that would make my story ring true, um, readers are going to probably be even more involved because it's going to feel more authentic Absolutely. Yeah. And so the, that's, that's where that research, that's where that knowledge, that's where that's uh, listening to uh, uh, or following these organizations comes in is, is having that, having that knowledge to keep your reader engaged as far as, as that, that recognizable credibility. Yeah. Oh, okay. This is so cool. All right. So um, one, uh, we, we actually, oh, well, I knew this might happen because I'm just so interested. And um, like I mentioned to you before we got on that I had a day off yesterday and I was like, I just feel like kind of a Jason Bourne kind of movie, but I want to watch something I haven't seen before. I've seen all the Jason Bourne movies lots of times because I really like them, but I just wanted to see something I hadn't seen. I tried two movies and barely got an hour into either one of them. I'm like, this is the worst spy movie ever. <laughs> so I just have, like spy stuff in my brain right now. So um, let's go a little bit quicker. Um, you talk about um, spies have to work solo, but also, and this was interesting to me, that they also have to rely on teams. So what do we need to know about that if we're writing a spy thriller? Well, you know, and I, I, I hate to say um, tropes, but, but the, the fact is, is that, you know, spies rely on the, the folks who provide technology. And folks who help them understand that technology. So we all, you know, and in every story, uh, for instance, I brought up leverage. You have the geeky guy. Um, uh, oh boy, a heart partisan. Is that right? Um, but uh, he, uh, he's awesome. And, um, but you, you have those types of folks. In the real world, you have whole teams of people and it's not always the same person. And, and they, somebody is just assigned um, to the job. But they spies rely on teams. You rely on, you know, even in, you know, for military speak, you talk about a drone uh, team. You know, we talk, the, the world, we often talk about drone pilots. Well, it's not really a drone pilot, you, you know. And the, the other thing is the idea that drones take the human being out of the uh, equation. That's completely untrue. The, the predator and reaper drones that were flying, you're talking about at least 10 people that are part of that equation that are working behind the scenes. Um, you have uh, a, a supervisor who's watching the, the entire thing. You have a wing operations center uh, with, who's, who's got eyes on a dozen screens, seeing what everybody's doing, all the way down to the level where the crew is working, where you have the pilot who is uh, the uh, mission commander. You have the sensor operator operating the targeting pod and the cameras. You have a mission intelligence coordinator, sometimes two or three, who are looking ahead with maps and saying, okay, you're coming up on this 
type of area you're coming up on an urban area you need to to move this way so you have you have whole teams of people that are working together in every one of these operational situations um, for the best outcome and so if you're writing these thrillers it, it is realistic to bring in teams and for me that's more fun too i like people working together like i said before you can bring in bring in the humor for Ben, because of the type of story it was, because it was actually uh, an allegorical joke, I had to isolate him. But I yeah. still gave him people to talk to by seeking out former team members and former uh, uh, contacts. Yeah. And since the book starts with everything going wrong, um, it was exciting for me to be trying to remember everything I'd learned so far about this character, that character. Like, is it one of these guys? Is it an inside problem you know that he's having or is it an outside bad guy um and there was a couple of people that i was constantly being like i don't know i don't know if i trust this person which is fun when you're reading <laughs> absolutely and that's another thing that, that working in teams gives you is that uh you know level of trust or distrust especially when the teams are brand new to each other when they're thrown into a situation together for the first time Awesome. Okay. So, so fun. So, but also spies lie. So right. So where does the trust that? come from? I'm thrown into a group of people and we all lie for a living. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So wait a second, but spies do lie. Deception is part of the job. Uh, it's, it's, it's how it's done. Um, we, we, you wouldn't have espionage if there wasn't deception and it's an, it's a necessary. And I, I try to like liken it in, um, a very loose way, I want to be very clear on that, to um, the necessity of killing on the battlefield, which is a much deeper, much harsher um, psychological and just physical thing to deal with, is the fact that soldiers have to kill on the battlefield and have to become um, acquainted with that, have to become um, willing or, or uh, at least acknowledge that that's going to be a, a potential situation. Um, for spies, they have to be willing to lie, they, and they have to become good at it. They have to lie as if they're telling the truth, or they have to believe the lie as they're telling it in order to to make that work. And so, if you know, I, I, the reason that I bring this up is I had this conversation um, the other day. I work in Christian fiction, and so I had a young writer whose idea was, well, I'm going to write the spy that never lies, you know. And I was like, okay, so you're saying you're going to write the soldier that never has to shoot anybody? Well, it's not a very realistic soldier and so that's not going to be a very realistic spy and so i don't really think i mean go ahead it's a it's a big big challenge um but i don't think that uh your reader's going to find it believable yeah or compelling enough to read the whole story maybe yeah absolutely yeah and so then you can um look into so you you've kind of given us a great outline but then none of these pieces are a separate piece that you're thinking about by itself. So spies work on work in teams, but spies lie. And so that's a thing. Um, and then also um, teaching the reader the language of the spy world. Um, you probably need to show sometimes that your spy is lying. And depending on how you're telling the story, uh, whether you're letting the reader know or not. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Okay. And sometimes you want to, sometimes because you're writing in the spy's perspective. Um, and so occasionally uh, you don't want to give away the farm with every scene if you want to build that tension. And so <clears throat> that's one of the maybe the benefits of writing a spy thriller is you can lie to your readers as well uh, and then turn around and change things up um, because the spy is lying. And when the spy tells the lie, you don't want to be you don't, you're. 
here's how to lie, folks. All right. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But you don't want to have it in your head the whole time as I'm telling a lie, because then you're going to have all these tells and you're going to you're going to telegraph what you're saying. And so the spy has to believe the lie while the spy is saying the lie, which means that your reader who is in the spy's head is also potentially going to believe the lie. And that may work to your benefit uh, as the as the writer. Right, right. And so um, this thing that we've learned through TV and and movies probably, or at least probably where I've learned it, this idea of the best lies are the ones that are closer to the truth. Is that always true for spies or just like regular people who are on the street, like trying to make a lie work for them? We're getting into really dark territory here. Uh, this podcast took a took a heavy turn into, into facilitating me. illegal activity. Um, I, so, I swear I didn't have anything in mind in particular. Yeah. Right. So um, no, actually, uh, and I think you know where it's it's spoken best, and and they took it, they stole it from somewhere because I it was something I had already heard. But uh, oh, there's a line in Ocean's Eleven. Um, the original Ocean's Eleven, where he says, "Don't lie when the truth will do," oh, and yeah. that is that is and that's an absolutely a uh, a, a mantra. Um, always tell the truth when you can, because a lie can be found out. And so, if you can, so you want the lie to be as close to the truth as possible. You also want to tell the truth when you can. Um, not just because it, it's good to tell the truth. It's <laughs> pay attention. Yeah. Uh, you know, always tell the truth. But when you're in the situation where deception is necessary, um, if you can tell the truth uh, and, and surround a lie with truths, then it becomes much more believable and much less likely uh, for that wall to be broken or for that curtain to fall. Right. Okay. This is cool. Not that I'm coming up with ideas for ways I could lie, but (laughs) okay. So now this is awesome. You've given us so many ideas for how to come up with um, uh, story ideas, how to stay inside of the reader expectations for the genre, um, how to make things feel and sound realistic and believable. Um, And through all of that, we have found that we could probably spend the rest of our lives just doing research and never actually write a book. What Absolutely. do we do, James? How do we how do we handle that problem? You have to. And actually, I created a, a I think Blue Ridge Mountains has a blog on this Blue Ridge Mountain Christian Writers Conference, uh, their page. I, I wrote a blog specifically on this topic uh, because I was fighting the same thing. And, and I actually created a um a decision tree, you know, matrix to, to, you know, okay, if this is happening, go to this, do, you know, and then if you, but then set a timer because, uh, or have your wife come in and, and, and slap you around a little bit. Um, uh, because the, what's happening is, is you're, you're getting bogged down in this research and you're supposed to be writing a book. And you're going deep and deep into the details of the wiring of a brand new piece of technology. And your reader doesn't need to know about the wiring of the brand new piece of technology. They just need to know what it is and what it does. And that's, that's enough. Um, and, or, you know, you get bogged down. I got bogged down once in shrinking a piece of technology. So it, it was small enough to fit inside a pen, um, but not quite. So I, I got bogged down in trying to reinvent somebody else's piece of technology or rewire somebody else so that you could fit it inside a pen. When I realized I'm writing fiction, you know, it's close enough. I can fit it inside a pen. It's believable. 
move on. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, think yeah. I lost like three hours of my day trying to, you know, learn how to uh, be an engineer. So <laughs> don't do that. So set a timer. Um, or uh, I have a standing desk and I, I, well, I have an alarm that goes off with the standing desk. So when the desk, when it's time to turn the, to, to stand up, it's also time to set the research down and get writing again. Um, ah. But you can do any technique that works for you uh, as a wake up call, almost like, you know, uh, have you ever heard of lucid dreaming? Yeah. Okay. So uh, um, inception, right. And they have a talisman. Right. Okay. Right. So in the talisman is a top, I actually have one of these sitting on my desk right now and they spin the top and if the top and if the top uh, falls, then they know it's reality. But if it keeps going, then, you know, so uh, have your talisman sitting on your desk. OK, so when you're researching and you're lost in that researching, you're you don't know you've lost reality and sense of time and your eyes drift to your desk and you see that top sitting there, you go, oh, that's my wake up call. I'm supposed to be writing my book right now. Take the eyes off the research and get back to the work. Brilliant. I love it. That's a great life hack for writers. <laughs> okay. So um, I will put a link to the blog in the show notes so that people can go to rightnowworkshop.com forward slash episodes, find this episode that I don't know the episode number yet, but it's coming out on May 6, 2021. But in general, it sounds like we could go back to one of your other pieces of advice. And no matter how painful it is, open our eyes, look up, find the hole and get out of this um, huge lake of research that we've got yes, stuck absolutely. in. Absolutely. Exactly. Just like that. Awesome. This is so much fun. Okay. Tell us a little bit more about, so at the time that this episode goes live, your book will have been out for two whole days. Woohoo! Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks so much. So you, uh, if you're looking for the Paris Betrayal, you can find it anywhere, any of your favorite bookstores. You can also go to jamesrhannibal.com. Don't forget the R. So jamesrhannibal.com is my website and uh, all of my stories there, Paris Betrayal will be front and center for you to click on and we'll have links to all the different places you can get it uh, and learn about Ben Calix and A Spy Left Out in the Cold. Excellent. And from a reader, I'll say I really liked it and I don't necessarily read a ton of this kind of book, but I loved the story. It was really fun. Awesome. I'm so glad. James, thank you so much for taking time out of your writing day and sharing with us all these tips. And maybe um, maybe people can go to your website and hit the contact button and say, I, I used your tips and I wrote a spy novel. Or I used your tips and I robbed a store. So, hey, we've, we've created a, a lot of monsters this or morning. That. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> thank you so much. We appreciate you. All right. Thank you.